0: You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Bader Roberts. Our current serial is Curse of Bronze. Chapter 5 The Family Gardener Bella dreamed of gargoyles. Twisted, grinning demons lurched out at her from door knockers and the corners of stone buildings. Why would creatures, who are usually depicted with water gushing from their mouths, or brass rings clamped between their teeth, have a language anyway? She often asked herself questions like this, even in dreams. The gargoyles capered around her closer and closer. They vomited water at her, soaking her dress. One of them growled. Bella woke up at an awkward angle. Her sensible skirt was heavy with water, which also dripped down over her hair and face. Upon wriggling, she found herself tied to a chair, not the most auspicious of beginnings. She was underground somewhere, with windowless walls. A cellar? There was an odd smell. Someone was growling, and it wasn't a gargoyle. So, you're the latest Hathaway. "'said a low rumble of a voice. "'Don't look much like her auntie, does she? "'That's cause she's not gold and shiny,' "'breathed another, deeper voice. "'The two of them laughed together cruelly, "'and Bella allowed herself to accept "'that she was in very grave trouble. "'They swung into view, "'and oh, it was worse than she had imagined. "'They were both large, burly men,' stripped to the waist and covered in a truly excessive amount of hair including on their faces werewolves they were werewolves no wonder this dank cellar smelled like wet dog charity would punch both of the werewolves in the snoot and escape via the nearest window while still tied to the chair faith would use her gift of the gab talking them both around until somehow they both agreed to be her henchmen. But Bella was Bella. All she had was a talent for translating ancient languages and a house full of cursed objects which were not here right now. Somehow she didn't think these chaps would be impressed with her knowledge of lupine poetry. Why am I here? she asked, grateful at least that she'd not been gagged. We'll ask the questions, growled one of the werewolves. Oi, you lot, what the hell fire do you think you're doing? A new voice burst into the cellar, along with a bright wash of lantern light, as a door swung open at the top of a nearby staircase. A woman stomped down towards them, thoroughly human, wearing trousers, a man's collared shirt and a headscarf. Oh, ma! protested both werewolves, falling back. Don't talk to me, either of you. You don't have half the sense you were born with. I never said to kidnap her. I specifically said no more crimes this month. But you said, started one, didn't I tell you to stop showing initiative? You don't think for yourselves when I'm around. I'm the leader. You're the idiots. Now, shoo, get out of here. The grumpy woman chased both of her werewolf sons up the stairs and away, then began to work on the ropes that tied Bella to her chair. A lock of salt grey hair fell over one ear, slipping out from under the headscarf. She was older than Bella had thought at first. Might be grandmother, not mother, to those two young and reckless werewolves. "'You have to forgive them,' the woman said." They're idiots, who shouldn't have been eavesdropping, got ideas above their station. One of the werewolves, lingering at the top of the stairs, whined. You said it was time to sort out that business with our tag and the Hathaways. Now Miss Charlotte ain't around to stand in our way. Never mind what I said, she yelled up at them. No more crimes for the rest of the year. You're bad at them. "'Never mind, love,' she added soothingly, patting Bella on the arm as the ropes fell away. "'No harm done.' "'I rather think I'll be the judge of that,' said Bella, recovering herself. "'Who are you?' Selwa Gardner,' said the woman. She was spry for a woman her age, shorter than Bella, but she looked like she could handle herself in a fight. She wore a clanking bronze necklace depicting the phases of the moon. Clearly she could not wear silver around her sons.' with something else on a chain that dragged down into her bosom, heavy and hidden. You've heard of our family, I suppose. I'm new to the city, Bella admitted. Selwa's face darkened with anger. Oh, so you don't know a thing about our side of it. Typical bloody Hathaways. Not caring about anyone but yourselves. She stepped back and waved a hand at the staircase. Go on then, see yourself home. Bella hesitated, when she should be leaping up those stairs two at a time. Your sons mentioned someone called Tag. Further fury bloomed on Selva's face. Don't you talk about our boy. We don't need that old business dragged up again. Dead's dead. There's no point pretending your family gives a damn about mine now. Charlotte's gone, same way as Colin, and I won't mourn either of them yet while the going's good. Bella took the cue and fled the scene. The gardener's cellar belonged to a respectable-looking house in an area of the city that Bella did not know at all. She followed the lights until she found a main road and hailed a cab rather than try to orient herself. Long way from home, noted the cabbie when she told him her address, "'Been in the rain, have you, love?' "'The skies were clear, but Bella's clothes were soaked. "'It won't damage your upholstery, will it?' she asked. "'Nah, that's solid minotaur leather back there,' the cabbie said cheerfully. "'Blood wipes right off it. Drop of water won't do much.' "'Bella was never going to catch a cab in this city ever again.' "'She spent the entire journey eyeing the interior.' a blood spatter. Once she was home, changed and had given the furnishings sufficient time to fuss over the state she was in, Bella went looking for Lionel. Mr. Hope, she called politely from the blasted hole between their walls. Behind her the teapot made a huffing noise. In your dressing gown, she gasped. If a teapot could have clutched at Pearl's, she would have done so. Bella rolled her eyes. The dressing gown in question was one of her aunts. Padded silk with so many buttons, she was wrapped up more thoroughly than in any of her day outfits. Excuse me, Mr Hope, she called again. The electric was still on in his downstairs rooms. So she had to assume he wasn't sleeping. What time was it come to that? nearly midnight Grumbled a side-table goodness bella withdrew from the hole in the wall electric or no electric it was certainly not good manners to go calling for gentlemen in the middle of the night she would have to wait until breakfast miss hathaway said that deep rich voice bella peeked back and saw him lionel had a powerful presence with his majestic stature fierce face and golden mane, strange how quickly she had gone from being startled by his appearance to a comfortable familiarity. Those werewolves today were terrifying, even, perhaps especially, once Bella realised they were idiots. They could have hurt her without even trying. But apart from that first day, she never felt scared of Lionel, or thought of him as beastly, Somebody who had quite so many sarcastic opinions about books must be worth trusting. I need to ask you about the gardeners, she said, a little breathless as his golden eyes drew to her. I'm sorry, I didn't realise it was so late. He was wearing striped pyjamas and a beautiful embroidered dressing gown that hung loose. His feet were bare, so she could see that they were both furred "'and Claude. "'No trouble at all. "'This is Lyceum. "'We love to intimidate tourists by pretending we don't sleep at night.' "'His leonine brow furrowed a little. "'The gardeners, you say. "'And this woman, Selwa. "'She said someone had been asking about her family. "'I've never heard of them before, but she didn't mention my Uncle Colin.' At least, her long-deceased uncle was the only Colin Bella knew about. "'I have something you need to see,' said Lionel, and stepped back from the hole in the wall to let her through. "'Because awkward conversations about other people's families "'are exactly what I signed up for when I moved next door,' he murmured to himself. "'Rude,' she said to his back. "'Aren't we friends yet? "'I feel like this is how friends speak to each other.' when suddenly awoken in the middle of the night. "'Don't pretend you weren't eating toast and marmalade in the kitchen,' she muttered in return. He turned his beastly head and gave her a breathtaking grin with far too many teeth all at once. See? Rudeness and friendship. Basically the same thing. Bella had seen albums like this before. Her mother had owned several, packed with photographs and newspaper clippings about her own youthful adventures and Charlotte's ongoing career. This particular album, which Lionel now placed on his reading table, looked exactly like the ones her mother had worked on so patiently on the rare occasions that Bella and her energetic sisters gave her a moment to herself. The first picture... A snapshot of three grinning young people in front of an enormous steamer ship hit Bella with a jolt when she saw the caption scrawled above it. Charlotte and Christabel and Colin, off to see the world. That's my mother's handwriting, she said, shocked. Why do you have it? Your aunt left the album here last month, said Lionel. She was looking up something to do with the nameless pharaoh and the brass tomb of Apollonia. Charlotte often left books here with ongoing projects. He gave her a sheepish sort of smile. Like I told you, she rather colonised my library. I'll admit I put up no resistance. She always rather reminded me of my great-grandmother. "'Oh, I hope you told her that to her face,' said Bella, before remembering her aunt was dead." once or twice. I have often suspected she blew the hole in my wall herself, so she didn't have to keep knocking on my door. Bella turned the pages, soaking it all in. She'd only ever seen one picture of her mother's brother, Colin, on the mantel at home in the family cottage. That one was a rather bland portrait, all youthful smile and perfectly combed hair. This Colin clearly never bothered to comb his hair the album contained several snapshots of the siblings on their various travels and adventures but most of the album was devoted to newspaper clippings colin hathaway had been as infamous a tomb raider as his sister charlotte was a curse breaker from his rambunctious teen years escaping the shadow of his adventurous older sisters through to his time as an archaeology student at Hephaestian College, he filled front pages with dashing shenanigans. Discovering the elf ruins of Shanagar, uncovering the mountain tombs of Gibutin, an adventure that saw him hospitalised with snake bites from twelve different varieties of snake, revealing the underwater palace of Megalai, just days before the area was due to be destroyed for some kind of military project. Colin Hathaway was a crack shot, a charming devil, and a magnet for disaster. He fell into traps, wrestled bears, and uncovered ancient puzzles that always eventuated in poison tipped darts, giant rolling boulders, or advancing spiked walls of doom. No wonder he died young. Lionel left her alone. Bella barely noticed deeply immersed in a feature article about Colin's retrieval of the great cursed crown of Corleando from under the nose of his arch-rival, Tag Gardner. Quite a few articles mentioned Tag Gardner in passing, but this was the first one that went into their professional rivalry with any detail. Gardner had studied under the same professor as Colin a few years earlier, Their careers kept intersecting, especially once Colin began his postgraduate studies in the Department of Ancient Artifacts. During the case of the Cursed Crown, both men were hired by competing museums to secure the loot. Gardner teamed up with a shipload of pirates to attack Colin's crew. Colin unleashed a cursed sword on the pirates. Several of both parties returned to land with fewer limbs than they had started out with. After that, the articles about Colin's career always mentioned Tag Gardner. Bella wasn't sure if this was due to her mother's curation, or if the newspapers really were this obsessed, with the idea of two chaotic Tomb Raiders at odds with each other. Perhaps Selva Gardner had her own album somewhere, full of the dashing exploits of her Tag, with those same constant references to his rivalry with Colin Hathaway. No wonder she felt such bile towards Bella's family. It was a genuine feud. Bella took note of the dates and found herself turning the pages slower, not wanting to get to the end of the story. The one fact she knew about Colin Hathaway was that he had died tragically young, not long before Bella herself was born. And there it was, a 25-year-old newspaper headline, screaming, Rival Tomb Raiders Missing Presumed Dead. Another newspaper featured an enormous image of Hathaway and Gardner looking especially dusty and dashing. The original of the photograph had appeared on the previous page of the album. With a small cut-in image of a plain-looking young woman in a safari hat, her arms full of grimacing grotesques. This one bore the headline, Tomb of Brass Takes No Prisoners. The brass tomb of the nameless pharaoh, Bella said aloud to the empty room. Goodness. The story was not over. She was still only three quarters of the way through the album. She was in for a long night. Bella jolted awake. Lionel's reading room was full of sunlight, and she had been dozing over her mother's album. Christabel Hathaway had collected all manner of articles speculating on the mysterious disappearance of her brother and Tag Gardner, but these petered out within a year or two. Either the newspapers had lost interest, or Christabel lost heart in the mystery. Christabel herself died 11 years ago, many years after she stopped collecting mentions of her lost brother. One article had been added to the album more recently, a surprisingly large Whatever Happened To feature from five years ago by some fellow called Gaston Hugo. Charlotte's handwriting provided the caption, just date and newspaper details. Bella barely glanced at this one, exhausted and not expecting it to provide new information. Here were the facts she had gleaned from her research thus far. Infamous archaeology rivals, Tag Gardner and Colin Hathaway, were hired by a conglomerate of Artemisian museums to embark upon a dig in the independent province of Apollonia or they convinced representatives of said museums to fund their long shot of a project, using a secret map. The grotesque glossary? Bella believed this to be so, though the newspapers never named the book. Clearly, the newspaper reporters had not discussed the case with Mrs Macabre. Gardner and Hathaway put together a team of enthusiastic students from Hephaestian College, including Miss Nellie Tunbridge, junior postgraduate student specialising in general linguistics. The dig was successful, uncovering a 2,000-year-old door, decorated with bronze gargoyle faces. As night fell, the archaeologists argued, but eventually agreed to wait until dawn to enter the tomb together. In the morning, when the camp awoke, there was no sign of Colin Hathaway or Tag Gardner. They were never seen again. When the remaining team entered the tomb, they discovered 1. A hoard of around 30 unique brass gargoyle artefacts, which were removed and divided among the museums that had funded the dig. 2. The highly decorated and extremely beautiful sarcophagus of an unknown pharaoh lined in brass. 3. An entire lack of hieroglyphs anywhere on the artefacts, sarcophagus, or within the tomb itself, leading to the future identification of the Apollonian pharaoh as the nameless pharaoh of the Tomb of Brass. 4. An entire lack of Mr. Colin Hathaway and Dr. Tag Gardner, whose disappearance confounded the world and their families. It was all exceedingly strange not least because bella had never heard of any of this before she had been told her uncle died young but not that he was at the heart of a massive archaeological mystery the smaller articles further to the back of the album after the story faded from big news to niche academic interest mentioned that the hoard from the tomb of brass had been divided between the various museums across artemisia many of them here in Lyceum, who had funded the project. Complaints were made by the Apollonian government that the items should never have been taken out of their country, which was an independent province. Every article noted the disappearance of the two legendary Tomb Raiders, Hathaway and Gardner, Gardner and Hathaway. There were also quite a few references to the burgeoning career of now Professor Nellie Tunbridge, who had emerged from the whole affair with full credit for the Tomb of Brass, despite not even being an archaeologist. Breakfast, said Lionel, stepping into the room with a tray. Bella blinked at him. She must look afraid. I'm so sorry, I've abused your hospitality. That's all right, he he assured her. I rather like having my hospitality abused. Keeps things lively. Anything of interest? "'I've barely begun to scratch the surface.' "'Bella closed the album with a snap. "'I'll take this home if that's all right.' "'Of course, it's yours. "'But you might as well eat something first, "'or I'll be left moping on my own with far too much breakfast.' "'He set the tray down on the one part of the giant table "'that was not scattered with books. "'Far too much breakfast included pastries, toast, sliced fresh fruit,' And a steaming pot of tea that was blissfully silent. Thirty gargoyles, Bella announced, as she moved to a chair closer to the breakfast and began to butter a thick slice of toast. I beg your pardon. The article about the Tomb of Brass said there were thirty ancient gargoyle artifacts recovered from the dig, distributed across various Lyceum museums. I should be able to view them, shouldn't I? Aunt Charlotte left a note to herself in the grotesque glossary. The twenty-ninth gargoyle is our last hope. The only way to figure out what she means would be to examine all of them. Lionel looked distinctly uncomfortable. You won't find them in any museums, I'm afraid. Not these days. Oh, were they returned to Apollonia? He laughed. "'A sharp and cynical sound. "'No, that would require a certain amount of cultural respect, "'that our country has not, on the whole, "'extended to independent provinces "'that are no longer beholden to our crumbling empire.' "'Bella took another bite of toast. "'Where are the gargoyles, then, if not in the museums?' "'Lionel shifted uncomfortably in his chair. "'They were stolen.' All of them. Over the last few years or so, there have been a rather a rash of thefts from museums. Very specific thefts. The entire hoard from the Tomb of Brass has been affected. One of the thefts was as recent as a fortnight ago from the Lornetti exhibit in Cromwell Street. A fortnight ago, said Bella. Her eyes narrowed. Since we're friends now, and allowed to be as rude as we like, I'm just going to come straight out and ask, What aren't you telling me? Lionel sighed, and bit into a peach. You haven't taken the time to properly explore your new house, have you? What's that supposed to... Oh, dear. Bella's heart sank, as it always did when one of her relatives did something utterly, unthinkably dangerous. Oh, Aunt Charlotte, no. Surprise, said Lionel weakly. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or threads at Tansy rr and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon. Where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.